a Faith That Obeys podcast 007, Working on Works. Works. That's a funny sounding word when you just say it out loud. Works. <laughs> this little word can have a variety of meanings. A computer works, meaning it operates. A municipality has public works, you know, the infrastructure built to support the smooth operation of the community. A person works, meaning they put forth labor and produce something. A religious person might perform good works or good deeds, meaning they are performing a religious activity or action for the purpose of pleasing God. When we have that debate about God's requirements that a, a person must be baptized to be saved, it is often to this word, works, the argument turns. The anti-Baptists say, man cannot be saved by works. I can't argue with that statement. They are correct because the Bible teaches man cannot be saved by works. Surprisingly, both the anti-baptism folks and the folks who believe that baptism is indeed necessary for salvation agree on this point. We cannot be saved by works. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is that we have not defined the meaning of the word works. What is a work? Well, it depends on the word use. You know, how the word is being used. This depends heavily on the context of where and how the word's being used. If we're using the word work to refer to a good deed someone does in order to gain favor with God, that's a different word use than if we say we are working for God as God commands us to do. For example, when Jesus says, love your neighbors and pray for those who persecute you, we don't consider his instructions to mean we are to perform some kind of good deeds work. We see his instructions and we are obligated to obey to the best of our ability. In this case, we might say to a friend, I have really been working in prayer for you. Here's another example. When Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. This is a religious activity we do because we eagerly want to do what he's asked us to do. We do it because we, we love him. Activity is another word for work, though it carries a little more gentle meaning. Prayer and the Lord's Supper are religious activities Christians all over the world perform on a regular basis. Yet, no Christian would consider these things to be works. We understand them simply as requests or commands Christ has laid before us, and as a good Christian, we're willing to humbly comply. But something funny happens when it comes to the command to be baptized. Suddenly, the word use changes. We redefine baptism as a work and then conclude one does not need to be baptized because it is a work and we're not saved by works. To understand this a little better, let's look at what the Bible actually says about salvation by works. Let's see how the Bible defines works and see if baptism fits into that category. When the debate begins, the discussion about works often begins in Romans. So let's turn there. Romans 4, 1 through 6. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? 
If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Then, a little bit later in Romans, Paul continues this thought in Romans 4, 13-16. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, but also of those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Well, let's put this in context. What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about how Abraham received a credit of righteousness, but not because of his works. He believed God and received a credit of righteousness. Next, we learn that righteousness comes by faith, not by works. It is by grace the promise is offered. Considering these passages of Scripture, I think we can be fairly certain that works are of little value in the salvation process. But let's look at another passage. Later, Paul continues this same theme. Romans 9.30-33 through 33. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? A, a righteousness is by faith? But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Here, once again, Paul contrasts faith and works. One leads to salvation. The other, to stumbling over the very person in whom we should have faith, Jesus Christ. Without question, works are of no value for salvation. But we're working on works here, so let's define our terms. What are these works the Apostle Paul is talking about? Let's get some context. The works are... Paul is talking about is the performance of rituals established by the Old Covenant. He's talking about very specific activities Jews were required to perform, such as the sacrifice of the Passover lamb or the keeping of the Sabbath, which kept them in a right relationship with God. Throughout the New Testament, when we're comparing works with grace and faith, we're always talking about Old Covenant law and the performance required by the law. Paul is not talking about some unfamiliar good deeds someone made up which would prove their loyalty to God and draw them closer to him. 
And while it's true people will attempt to do things for God in order to win his approval, these are not the things Paul is talking about. In context, Paul is never talking about some new works of merit a well-meaning Christian dreamed up or even about baptism, a New Testament command. Paul is always talking about activities already established in the Old Testament, which the Jews were obligated to follow. He's not talking about something new which was occurring in the church. Now, remember, the Old Testament law was the frame of reference for the disciples of the first century to whom the New Testament letters were written. They would have universally understood that when, when Paul was talking about works, he would have been referring to the Old Testament law, which was gone. His appeal in all of his discussions about works is to avoid sinking back into or depending on those rituals for salvation. The New Testament establishes that we are no longer required to do those things. And if we're depending on them, we're not acting with faith in Christ. The old covenant rules of engagement are over. It is finished. This brings us to the new covenant. Let's talk about the rituals the New Testament establishes. <laughs> there are none. The New Testament establishes no new ceremony, ritual, or even a so-called sacrament. Let's return to our earlier examples of the Lord's Supper and prayer. These two activities are commands of Christ. They were not suggestions. They establish a pattern of behavior every Christian should be following. But why do we do them? Is it out of a legalistic, hard-coded duty to the Lord? Absolutely not. No way. That would be wildly inappropriate. We do these things because we love the Lord and want to do what he has asked us to do. We do them because of relationship, not rules. Modern evangelicals, in an effort to deny baptism as integral to the conversion process, have somehow recategorized baptism as a work of man and then used this new meaning to reject baptism as a necessary part of loving Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. It seems to me we need to humbly revisit the issue of baptism and simply ask, did Jesus command us to do this just as he told us to pray and share the Lord's Supper? Yeah. It is commanded by Jesus in the Great Commission, and most churches understand this. Many of today's evangelical churches perform full immersion baptisms. They do it because they recognize baptism as a command. With a command comes the obligation to obey. The problem is they baptize people who believe they are already saved and their sins have been forgiven in advance of their baptism. Now, remember, the vast majority of evangelical churches teach that a person's sins are forgiven when they accept Christ, sometimes months or years before full immersion baptism. They know baptism is not something man made up. It is not something that someone pulled out of thin air in the first century and it sort of caught on and became a nice tradition of the early church. In the first century, baptism was done and done immediately 
because they knew it was a command of Christ. They understood that it was part of the conversion process. It's that simple. Today, church is baptized because it's a command, but not for conversion to salvation. If we love Christ, we humbly obey his commands. Why would we argue with him about this? Well, if we get pulled off track just a little bit, and someone is able to convince us baptism is a work, things change. We begin to see baptism as a good idea, obeying a non-critical command or even as optional. When we are taught that baptism is a work instead of a required command of Christ, we might even fight against the idea that it relates to the forgiveness of sin. If someone was able to convince us to ignore or, or just minimize Jesus' instructions in the Great Commission, it becomes easy to conclude that baptism is not necessary for salvation. It's just another nice ritual. Here's the big question. If baptism is a work and not a spiritual response to a spiritual command, how and when did it become a work? At what point in church history did our brothers remove baptism from the command which must be obeyed list and move it over to the nice thing to be done list? They didn't. Baptism was never considered a work. This is why it does not qualify as a work like the requirements of the Old Testament. So why is baptism vilified and labeled with such a ghastly epithet as work? Well, because it is a necessary part of the conversion process. Can you think of anyone who might make it difficult for you to become a Christian? Who in the world wants to prevent people from being baptized? If baptism has nothing to do with conversion, who cares one whit if you're baptized? Who wants to confuse people regarding the meaning of baptism? Who wants to hide and obfuscate the commands of Christ? Who's the author of confusion and misunderstanding? Why would this even be an issue we debate if it were not something very, very important? Don't you see? Someone is trying really hard to keep you from obeying the gospel. He'll tell you, it doesn't matter. He'll tell you, you were baptized as a baby. He'll tell you, but you're okay. You were baptized as an adult. Even though you still believe and teach that salvation and the forgiveness of sins occurs when someone accepts Christ. He'll tell you, you don't need to obey Christ. Having him as Savior is just fine. He'll tell you, this is all just a bunch of doctrinal hair splitting. It doesn't matter. All that matters is what's in your heart. And you know you're a good person. But then again, he really doesn't need to say all those things. 
All he needs to do is to convince you that baptism is a work of man instead of a command of Christ. A humble heart is eager to obey this command immediately upon accepting the gospel. You know, if this wasn't an absolutely critical issue, why would there be any argument about it to begin with? Well, thanks for listening. Join the argument at www.afaiththatobeys.org slash blog.